0: Welcome to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast. My name is Jen Sherman, doctor, coach and expedition medic. If you're a paramedic, doctor, nurse, physio, or indeed anyone working in healthcare who has a curious and adventurous mind, then this is the podcast for you. Today, we're going to be talking about ultramarathons, coaching, resilience, purpose, and I'm sure a few more things. To explore this with me in this episode, I have the pleasure of welcoming Anna-Marie Watson. Anna-Marie has two big passions, ultra-marathons and coaching outdoors. Pre-COVID, she regularly achieved podium positions on the International Ultra World Tour Series and the Marathon de Sab. Having served in the British Army, she is no stranger to operating in challenging and extreme environments, and when not running, she can be found in the great outdoors coaching business leaders and athletes. Welcome, Anna-Marie, to the podcast. How are you doing?
1: It's a beautiful Sunday morning and having a chat about ultra running and coaching is, well,
0: what else would you want to do on a Sunday
1: morning? Let's be honest. And I've got a cup of tea, so life is good. (laughs)
0: that's very good life's very good and our listeners might uh, probably won't be able to see this whenever they, they they listen but anna-marie's also got a wonderful os maps behind her as her background so it just um, demonstrating. i'm sure lots of trails anna-marie is it
1: oh, yes that's part probably what it's there for um yeah but in the process of kind of setting up a home home office um i thought that it would be great to have kind of four os maps put together which is actually far more tricky to do than you think it might be so there was a lot of glue all over the place and it's not. Completely square I won't lie um but yeah it's all centered around Trowbridge which is where I'm based at the moment in southwest wheelchair and it is great for kind of hunting out trails and it's amazing what is on your doorstep I will admit I'm normally one for jetting off um and discovering far-flung places and um, though clearly that's not really possible at the moment so I've been very much firmly stuck in wheelchair though I mean even yesterday I was out just discovering some new routes around Bath which is just yeah what it's all about at the moment
0: Interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, just to start us off, I wonder, just for the listeners' purpose, I mean, <clears throat> how did you, how did you end up getting into the into the ultramarathon kind of circuit? What was the kind of, what was your entry point into that? Um, well, my initial entry entry point into the ultra world actually
1: was back in the nineties, late nineties, which was when I officially did my first first ultra which I didn't actually realize because it kind of somehow consigned it to the depths of my memory but during a a COVID inspired clear out I discovered a certificate from doing the 50 miler tour de triggs up in I think it was the Peak District. I was a part of Manchester and Salford um, OTC and we were part of a team went and did that so that was my first ultra so I kind of started pretty young in fact before I did my first marathon Um, and then it's all about my innate love of being outdoors and then running and how they combine and I think when you're a runner you kind of find your niche and for some people that's on the road some people it's marathons and I'm very goal driven very ate up I won't lie um, but for me it's all about kind of going long how far can I push myself physically mentally and emotionally and then kind of everything kind of almost kind of comes together and having um an apartment in Chamonix which I call my mountain home on the doorstep you can't help but be inspired by the mountains and I just love being out in the mountains you know overnight moving through the landscape it's very much for me it's a journey and seeing the kind of the day transition to night and then back to day again it's just a really a time when I just feel very kind of in the moment there's a probably a form of escapism to it as well but very much kind of connected to nature to something which is bigger than me um and yeah that's where it kind of all started and then I think once I started and you, you get in touch with other ultra runners and you hear about other races, it's, it's almost like the world is your dream where do you kind of start and having lived and worked all over the world I've then kind of combined it into you know part of my lifestyle and it's it's been very incremental I can't really kind of say like an actual point where it really started but definitely you know going to do the Marathon de Salle back in 2015 that was in a way my entry onto the you know the international um, arena and coming second at that and in the top 50 um, was absolutely phenomenal as an athlete and I surprised myself and a lot of other people and then since then I've been you know for and it's going to do some other amazing races on the ultra trail um world tour
0: of series interesting so it sounds like i mean running obviously over time as well the meaning that it's given to your life is is kind of increased and being consolidated um one thing that's really interesting though for me is that you kind of su- surprised yourself when you did so well um, back um, when you first competed in the Marathon de sab. I mean, I wonder, um, just from a psychological perspective, um, what were your expectations when you first went into that race?
1: So I was living out in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia when I was training for it. And I really struggled with um, expat life, living as a partner, being unable to work So for me, the marathon to stop was a focus. And it's something that I really channeled my efforts into, definitely for a good six months beforehand. And I've always had an athletic basis. Um, It's not that I came from nothing, that would be a lie. And, you know, before that, I had competed in the Ironman 70.3 World Championships as an age grouper. um, And I'd done, you know, long distance and triathlon. So it wasn't as if I was coming from nothing. It's been, you know, even in 2015, it had been a 10-year journey since I'd done, you know, my first marathon. I'd, I'd done other ultras, bit. you know, I, I'd, I'd kind of been more of a participant. You know, I'd, I'd kind of literally crept around the CCC um, in 2007, I think it was, literally cutting um, – uh, literally hitting every, like, cutoff and just finishing within the, you know, 24-hour time limit. Um, though it had been there. But for the Marathon to Saba, I was very much – I was taking it seriously. I worked with a coach for the first time. I had a plan. I very much, I was like absorbed into the preparation of it, you know, and getting the kit and getting it as light as possible and working out my food. It was very much in the preparation and it's very much kind of comes down to the planning and preparation, physically training, but also mentally as well. And so I've spoken to a lot of people who've done it, you know, picked their brains. Um, So I wanted to go and do the best that I could. And... And I was also going with a friend and it was her second time. So it was also about catching up with my friend Leslie. So kind of getting there and, you know, I had a really strong long day and a lot about the Madden Saba is having that long day and everything kind of fell into place. There is an element of luck to it, I think. You can put as much preparation in as possible, but ultimately within an ultra, because of the time span, there's more potential for things to kind of go right or wrong. And sometimes you just can't predict, you know, stomach issues can be a huge thing with ultra runners and that is often what they kind of like have some reaction to and um, which is what happened to me in my second attempt at American Saab when I was I guess fifth lady instead um so yeah it was kind of over the days you know it's a six-day event and I kind of watched I finished kind of really very much come tried to hold back in the first couple of days but then it's it is it all kind of builds and it's like a realization like wow I am, I am doing this well um and even finishing it it was still it's all a bit of a dream particularly now kind of looking back
0: Mm, interesting and you know you mentioned about obviously the uh, the plan and the preparation for the ultras is as important and from what I'm kind of gathering as the actual event I mean I wonder also from a mental preparation perspective what what is it that you're focusing on in the run-up to those events mentally
1: so I very much get drawn into the the route the route a big thing for me and getting familiar with the route and particularly I mean the marathon sub it wasn't it wasn't possible and they actually keep the route and um, a surprise until the, the beginning of the event and then you get issued with the roadmap and um, but in subsequent races what I've done is very much studied the route ideally that's getting out and training on the environment so you kind of you literally get to know it I'm very visual so for me having those visual cues of okay what villages am I moving through where are the where are the climbs where are the valleys where are the You know, whether the key points, so for me, I can kind of mentally kind of cross them off in my mind. Um, But if I can't do that, then it's very much about getting the profile or the route kind of up on my office. Um, And when I did the UTMB in preparation for that in 2017, I had the profile and the route. And the distances between checkpoints, like, pinned up in my office. So they were there. They were ingrained. And with the UTMB, you know, I'd walked the route several times, just trekking, but then going out and training on it as well. So I knew it almost at the back of my hand. Um, and for me, that familiarity really kind of grounds me. Like, I know the terrain, And as I'm moving through it, it gives me, um, as you know, just kind of like an element of assurance and security. Because often when you look at these numbers that are involved in ultra races particularly like you know the height that I'm going you know 10,000 meters for the UTMB 160 kilometers like I my brain can't compute it it's too big so it's like how can I get my head around it so when I'm stood on the start line I'm not overwhelmed I'm not daunted and believe me you know starting on the start of the UTMB with two and a half thousand other people that's a big thing it's emotional when the music kind of comes up the Vanquader I can't remember the name but it's like pff, wow okay and then just being able to focus on the moment and not let that kind of distract you just enjoy it and ultimately you've kind of you've been there and you've earned it and I do I do believe you know the races for me it's not just about the event the event is a part of it it is all about the you know the preparation and then the event itself and then actually afterwards as well I think a lot of time and I've been in danger of this at the beginning particularly and I now try to you know, very much give myself time to recover and to reflect on what you've been through because it is a journey. It's a big and it's a lot of stress you're putting on your body physically, mentally, and emotionally as well. You know, you're pushing the limits, and actually, if you don't give yourself then time to decompress, how do you kind of come through that? And you can, you know, post race blues is is a thing, <laughs> and how can you kind of ease back into, you know, almost life without such a big focus? And there is a danger of that that i kind of felt almost i got to a point where it was just chasing the next race like what is next what's next on the circuit and i think that can be quite a dangerous place when you're living for the future and actually not maybe enjoying the, the present moment so much so particularly i found with covid because i haven't got the next race and um, how can i actually just bring it back and just enjoy running for running and I really miss, you know, the travel. Hands up, the camaraderie. Being a part of the ultra community gives me so much, like the social side. I think that emotional connection to people. I do, I do really miss that. And yes, I love going out, and I've been doing some FKTs in the local area, which is, you know, it's great. Though it's not, you know, competing at an international level. <laughs> not
0: at all. And I think in. It's really interesting, you know. Obviously, past year has been it's been it's been challenging for us all on different levels. But I wonder, just picking up on what you're saying there, when something like you know being part of that circuit, the ultramarathon um, circuit, and the community, which essentially it, it involves as well, um, with the loss of that over the last year, I wonder. I mean, in terms of your own identity, how have you managed that over the last year? (laughs) Pretty badly at times. (laughs) Um, So...
1: And it's, I, was, I was lucky last year to have a race um, in Grand Canaria in February so I managed to get out. And I'm part of a French team, um, WAA, What an Adventure. I've been, you know, supported as one of their elite athletes since 2016. And it's been great to have that partnership ongoing. They're very much connected to the half-American de France brand. Um, and, you know, there's athletes that I've known for five years. We've raced together. So, you know, some of them were out in Grand Canaria in February this year, 2021. And, you know, it was great to see them be able to, though I had proper FOMO going on. You know, I wanted to be there. I was there last year. We had an athlete meet up afterwards and we were up by Rock and doing, you know, some product shoots for the new items. A kit are coming out for the summer range and, you know, having, living together in a house and cooking together. And it was, you know, it's all kind of that kind of family vibe almost. So to not have that is, is, it's a big loss. You know, I've put a lot of my identity, particularly over the last few years, on being an athlete, and also being a coach and I very much found with COVID particularly in the beginning they were both taken away from me I do predominantly work face-to-face with individuals or facilitate small workshops whether that's in London or Geneva and again that's not been possible so in a way it's been a pausing a massive pausing like a car crash of a stop and then kind of exploring myself okay who am I if I'm not an athlete and I'm not a coach, what what remains? How do I strip things back so I kind of rediscover myself as Anna and I don't have to put everything on, you know, succeeding at racing or being the most, you know, thought-leading coach about taking coaching outdoors? How do you kind of really bring it back to yourself as an individual? And, you know, there's still good days and bad days. Um, you know, as much as I love my training session yesterday, doing hill reps up and down back, there was that, part of me that was longing to be you know in Chamonix in my mountain home going up and down Brevon um so it is it's it's that balance of being grateful for what I have had in the past but not living in the past and not grieving too much because it's a loss in a way and then being grateful for what I do have in the present because I am incredibly lucky on so many different levels and then just being you know optimistic for the future and what it may bring even though that in itself is so uncertain. Mm,
0: Absolutely and I think you know the other the other aspect of all of that really is also how do you think this this period of pausing as you you know so I think really aptly kind of (laughs) describe it how is that or could that or do you think it will change how you move forward with your passions of running and of coaching do you feel that this time has informed those in a way
1: yeah and I don't I don't know I'm still working through that it's almost with the racing I kind of question myself have I you know achieved what I wanted to achieve in my racing is that part of my life done I don't I don't know there was two races that I always wanted to take part in and that was the marathon, to Desarbe and the UTMB. I stood on the podium of both and more and you know, is that enough? At what point is that enough or are we on that kind of continual pursuit for for more and actually at what point do you go, actually okay let's stop. You know, the amount that I have given into my ultra running and it's it's bloody hard work and it may come across, you know, on social media as you kind of breeze in and out of races and it's kind of quite easy Um though like the hours and the effort and the energy that gets channeled into it is is colossal and actually at one point does that then start to detract from the enjoyment of it and you know I put pressure on myself at times far too much pressure and I've you know kind of overraced i i now looking back in hindsight say and overworked as well is getting that balance you know I was trying to get my coaching business off the ground and building partnerships with different kind of companies and that in itself there's only you know so much that you can do which you know I I reckon I do have a fairly addictive personality and that does give you the drive though actually at one point does that become a danger as well and you do push yourself too much because it is it's a very fine line and I do reckon that there's been points where I've been extremely close to burnout and actually then how do you kind of come back from that
0: really interesting and it brings up for me you know there's um in the psychological literature, there's um a lot um kind of written about um this idea of, of of having passions and actually how your passions can either be obsessive or they can be harmonious and actually the impact of um of that on your well-being. So if you're obsessively passionate about something, so i.e. it consumes your focus, it's actually been correlated like with a lot of detrimental kind of well-being factors versus if it's harmonious. And I think you've already just used the word yourself. And by that, what what I guess I'm kind of saying is it's balanced. It's a balanced passion. So it's not consuming kind of mentally emotionally and time wise everything else it's balanced in with other domains of your life you know that form of passion is seen to be a a very positive for your well-being because being passionate is a positive thing (laughs) and passion as a concept's been around since 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 the greeks basically so it's it's really interesting what you're actually saying is on your own reflections and and that balance is is a word balance and presence, you know, I'm hearing are two things that you yourself are keep coming back to in, in all of this.
1: Yeah, it is. We're all on a, a lifelong learning journey, and often it's a relearning at times. 100%. Um, and it is, it is like, what is that driver? When does it become slightly unhealthy? And I know for me, I've been, I've very much had, I don't know, a driver for me is a need to prove myself um a need to um you know I was in the army for Christ's sake for nine years and very much I, I you know as a female I was a small female it is almost very much like as a female within that organization you kind of had to do like you know, twice as much to kind of get the recognition because straight away you were a girl you're kind of on the back foot you have to prove yourself but that's what I felt that was the way I saw the world and I almost kind of would cherry pick the units that were hard so i went to one um allied um, command at mobile force land which no one doesn't exist anymore it was part of nato and it was you'd go on attachment with the marines so i went through the optical for training just out of you know my officer training that was my first job in norway you know digging snow holes and jumping in you know, doing ice breaking drills and all of that jazz. You know, it's like I've never chosen an easy route physically or mentally for myself. It's almost like I've, like, hunted out these opportunities which I need to push myself. I, like, I need to kind of strive for something. It's like, actually, I can do this. I'm bloody good at it. Um, almost at what cost? Um, you know, going through Santos, I was, you know, top of my platoon. So it's very much I have been that kind of high achiever slash overachiever. And at what point is that, yeah, at what point do you just kind of go, actually, pff, life is to enjoy. I don't constantly have to be striving for something.
0: Interesting, isn't it? And I think, um, well, it's a process, isn't it? And I think it's so key to that. And you can hear it in what you're saying as well as reflection, isn't it? It's reflection on experience and reflecting on your experiences and saying at what point is this is this tipping towards something which – which I need to I need to I need to um, swing the pendulum back into the middle a little bit. So it's kind of an, an active, ongoing, reflective kind of process.
1: Mm. And it, it kind of almost came to fruition. I had my first DNF. Um dreaded DNF in the ultra running world. It's like, whoosh, don't talk about that kind of thing. Oh um, and it was diagonal defoe um at the end of 2019. Um, in Reunion Island, which is this kind of tiny little French enclave nestled between Mauritius and Madagascar. Uh, it's a tropical island and it's just vicious. Um, it is, you know, 100 miler and there's a lot of bandied around in the ultramarathon world, you know, what's the toughest? It's, it was all about kind of, you know, the toughest, the hardest, challenge yourself. And, you know, the Defoe does tick most of the boxes, I won't lie. Um, and, yeah, I got to that point. You know, it was the end of a year I'd raced a lot and I was just done. And I knew I would have had another 30 hours to go. And I was just like, I'm done kind of thing. I'm just like, I've just, um, for today, that is me. I mean, clearly it's quite an expensive lesson flying halfway around the world to get to that point. Um, Maybe I could have done it (laughs) slightly cheaper financially. Um, But hey, yeah. And having had that, it did, it really marked me. And even now it's like, at some point, do I go back? Do I not go back? How do you dress failure? Because I think failure within our society is something that we we kind of don't talk about and particularly within, you know, the corporate world and failure, how does that sit? And actually, yes, it's an element of risk. And if we don't address risk, then how do we kind of learn? And you see it within the education system as well. Um, and within, with my clients, you know, coaching wise, within the business world, like the sphere of failure and how do you kind of work, work through that and how are you perceived if you do fail? Um, I think there's a lot, a lot there.
0: Mm, Yeah, no, I agree. I think also, um, Although there's a lot discussed about there's no such thing as failure, only good learning. You know, I think I think I, I'm not quite sure culturally we're there yet. No, I don't yeah. really feel that we are, particularly in the UK. Anyway, because it's as you say, failure is still something that's banded around from a very early stage of education. So we get we get conditioned to hear in that word as well, don't we? Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, lo- I love I love that phrase as well, and I think it's something that we can we can really all hold close to us as a. As a kind of like a a bit of a North Star, though I don't think culturally and societally we're that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, I think sometimes as well the fear of failure is at its greatest when we are the most strong. The fear of failure is its greatest. In connection with those things which we attach to most strongly in our identity, does that make sense? Yeah, I think the things we care about the most, the things we are most passionate about, that's where it gets sticky <laughs> because the stakes are higher, aren't they? You know, it's um, yeah, yeah.
1: And I think I think that's as I was racing more and racing in you know some amazing races, like that you know, Lavaredo. I'm on by UTMB, yeah, you know, missed Off, and then Sri Lanka Ultra X, multi stage, and it was it was almost like the more I did, the more my identity was attached to being an athlete and a successful athlete. How then does that then increase the pressure as I'm stood on that start line? Because there is that. Well, if I fail, then that is a reflection on me, and it's it's how do you divorce yourself? It's like I'm not a failure actually at this task at this moment in time yes i failed and it's very different it's very different and i think i've been guilty in the past of very much embracing it and labeling myself i'm a failure and that's when you start to really you know owning that emotionally or thinking that emotionally
0: it's not healthy mm, yeah i think it's uh, um you know my own reflections are this is it's very much an inward process and an inward process of um you know meditation reflection writing it's 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 trying to untether ourselves from some of these um extrinsic kind of um extrinsic uh, self-worth mm. type ideas isn't it but that's um that again is a process
1: <laughs>
0: yeah and i think i think for me it's it in a way
1: lockdown just being able to go out me on the landscape and for me movement helps those reflections it's very much a processing part of it um you know it's that headspace after a day of you know supporting my clients and ultimately now you know i'm very much i'm working virtually online so my life pretty much work is through a screen which when i kind of brand myself as free range that's it's a challenge it's fatiguing it's a different form of attention as well it's very focused very hard And that drains me in a in a different way. So actually, to be able to remove myself from that situation um, and head outside, and yes, you know, you're surrounded by nature. There's that restorative kind of green, though being rather brown in Wiltshire, quite muddy over the winter. But that combination of that movement as well. You know, ultimately, when you look evolutionary, we were designed to move. Um, So it's okay. How can I use that to help? accept the situation and you know let go of certain things because ultimately if we cling to some things too tightly how does that then actually open enable us to open up to what else is going on and have an awareness of what other opportunities may emerge and actually it is looking at it in a slightly reframe okay you know covid wise has actually brought me a lot of opportunities as well um, and I did sit down at New Year and do like a gratitude exercise which I'm surprised at how long it was because also sometimes I can be a little bit kind of glass half full and it's switching that up
0: interesting very interesting and I think that streamlines really nicely actually into I think you've already started talking about obviously your coaching background as well so I wonder just for the purpose of our listeners if you could just give us a bit of background of how you how you actually ended up coaching Mm. and coaching outdoors yeah, the backstory. The backstory question. Um, so,
1: when I was in the army, um, leading my soldiers, um, what I what I found was effective was ultimately being in their place, making sure that they were comfortable, where do they feel centered, and then ultimately listening was a massive part of it, and asking questions. Um, And, you know, at the time I didn't realize I was doing some form of coaching in its basic kind of skills, though ultimately as a leader, my style was very coach like. Um, And then when I left the army, my last job had been in leadership and development, working with students. And I loved seeing kind of students come in and having these conversations with them and actually how then did that shift their mindsets and change aspirations and support them working towards specific goals so it's almost like you know the threads were there though at the time I had no idea that this would be like a future career for me I didn't even realize that coaching was a thing and if you'd suggested to me when leaving the army and transiting into civilian life that actually working with a coach might be beneficial I would have been like (laughs) what's the coach you're crazy I'm fine I don't need any help kind of thing that was very much kind of my my kind of Values were very much around freedom and independence and I can do it by myself. I don't need any help. Very kind of individualistic. Um, Though when I was working in the Middle East, one of my colleagues was a trainer in NLP, Neuro-Linguistic Programming. And he was putting on a course over the summer, you know, in, in Abu Dhabi when it's super hot. What would you really do? Um, I'm not much of a shopper, I won't lie. Um, and, you know, you'd get up at four o'clock in the morning to go for a run. So by the time you'd, you know, you'd done your training for the day, what else do you do? So I jumped at the chance. Um, and this is almost where my kind of learning started again. I kind of, you know, at school, I was very conscientious. That was always my school reports. By the time I got to university, I was done. I wanted a job. I wanted out. I wanted to travel. And then I kind of came full circle. And I do think there's very much times of learning periods for different people at different stages within their life. And for me, once I started on this kind of learning about, you know, personal development and growth and leadership and resilience and well-being and coaching, like phew, hours off, you couldn't stop me. I just kind of literally went from course to course to course. And I was a little bit of like a learning junkie and I was very much in that discovery phase. And. Um, Though also I, you know, transited out of the army, which in itself is is huge, you know, nine years in the military, moved into the learning development world. And then, okay, I've seen these coaching courses. And then what? And this is often the way with coaches is that you kind of you're in some management role for You may do some coaching qualifications, but then how do you set yourself up as a coach? Like the business side of it is very different. And actually the business side is often what is the missing link And what people don't kind of really get, because it's very different from having some coaching skills, but then actually translating that into kind of like a business. How do you actually, you know, make some money out of it? Because ultimately, at the heart of it, (laughs) within the way society is set up at the moment, there is a financial element to things. And how can you make it successful? So um, it's been very gradual. You know, I did my first coaching qualification back in, what, 2010? That was 11 years ago. And in then, it has been a real gradual shift from, yes, being employed full-time doing the qualifications getting a few clients on the side to then working on um like interim projects for example um or doing part-time work and balancing it with my coaching and in between I studied for a master's and teaching at Sydney University um and then yes I was fortunate to kind of accompany my husband to Saudi Arabia and then back to the UK and it wasn't until I kind of really landed back in the UK in 2015 I was like okay how can this be a business how can I kind of set this up and For me now, it is very much about having a portfolio. And yes, I do some associate work and I balance that then out with my private clients and what I kind of love doing. Throughout that journey, I've very much found my coaching niche within Coaching Outdoors. And again, (laughs) I didn't know that when I first did my first coaching qualification. I just went to learn. Coaching Outdoors wasn't even a thing. It wasn't even mentioned on any of the courses. I do remember going and doing all of my peer coaching qualifications, so whenever on the course there was a chance to have a peer conversation and even in Abu Dhabi when it was super hot if there was an opportunity to stand by a window and look out of the window or go onto the rooftop if it was a bit cooler or go for a walk around the block I would always place that request to the individual who was coaching me if it would be an option because straight away you know for me my natural affinity is to be outside is to be moving or at least you know to, to be able to look out of a window And even now I'm looking out the window now behind the screen having that kind of sense of Actually I feel confined inside outside like for me, I feel a lot more grounded so and ultimately within coaching, you want to feel grounded you want to feel you know inspired you want an element of creativity because it's all about changing your mindset or thinking beyond what you have at the moment, okay, what do you want to achieve and then how are you going to get there? so actually, for me, I find that I do a lot of my thought I do most of my thinking outside of moving. okay, let's bring it into the coaching world so that's when I've kind of started to kind of dabble and experiment with it. And it's kind of one of those really weird places where the, some people have been doing this for years. It's not new, it's not rocket science. And you can take it back to Aristotle, who you know, used to, to teach his students kind of walking um, outdoors. So how can we then actually make it current? Because from what I see within our... Um, you know, capitalist system at the moment, and particularly within the work environment, work is done inside, sat down. It's very much presenteeism. You have to be there. You have to be seen for you to actually be working. And actually, as knowledge workers, we've moved beyond that. You can't be productive sat in one place for nine, 10, 12 hours a day. It needs to be split up, but it's still very much grounded back in the roots of you know, the industrial revolution where you used to clock in and clock out from work um whereas actually now we it's our brains that are priced we need to be kind of thinking differently we need to be thinking creatively and we can't work our brains don't operate like that for 9 12 hours a day and i find it really quite scary when i kind of you know log on to my clients and kind of speak to them and it's almost this default you know how are you today and they'll just be like busy <laughs> or good <laughs> And, and I kind of like, maybe, you know, we kind of work through it and kind of come to the conclusion at some point, maybe not on the initial kind of conversation that actually good and busy lies with emotional feelings and actually how are you as a person that's going to get away from the head and beyond valuing someone for their levels of productivity and what have they done today or how many meetings have they sat in today and how they're automatically scheduled for an hour and they take an hour and then you've got the next one starting on the dot so it's it's I've kind of totally gripped, tangent soft into my 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 rant about um the way business and work seems to happen at the moment um and observations from my coaching at the moment but hopefully that's given like a insight into my coaching backstory and how I got to where I am now and I'd love to talk a little bit more about coaching outdoors if possible
0: but I'll pause <laughs> no definitely I mean I think I th- yeah no 100% I mean I think um I think definitely because I know you also recently um, co-authored a chapter on this whole on coaching outdoors, um, essentially. So yes, no, tell us a bit more about that.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah. So the coaching outdoors once once I'd kind of oh it's a thing and kind of coerced some some clients um, to maybe test it out and they were. Um, you know it, it's almost like for some people again it's not rocket science and they get it for some people like actually yeah let's have a, you know i always have all my good thoughts while i'm out for a walk and you know if i'm looking for a coach actually is this a thing so and you know, a part of it is in educating like the business world so you now i was very fortunate to um i got a connection with henley business school and um, through jonathan passmore he heard me talk at the international coach conference the International Coach Federation UK Chapter Conference in London, which I've presented a couple of times about kind of taking coaching outdoors. And it's been very experiential. For me, it's all about, you know, I don't want to stand up and like lecture load a load of theory at you. Let's go and have a go. Like, that's my whole approach to everything. It's very facilitative. I love the evidence, but actually I'm a practitioner. How can you apply it? What's the point of just having all these facts and figures? If it, what does it mean to me? How can it, like, you know, support my clients? That's what I'm interested in. Um, so I then went and spoke to um, the master's students on the Henley Business School, master's in behavioural change and coaching. Um, and one of the students who was looking to do her dissertation on taking coaching outdoors, so she she loves the the evidence, which I do and I do read it. I just don't kind of quite get into the depths of it that she does. And she went off and did some qualitative interviews, kind of talking to some of my clients and also some other coaches that I pointed her in the direction of as well. And then since then we've co-authored this chapter in the coach's handbook, which in itself is a seminal text is great just to kind of dip into all the different facets of coaching. And it kind of goes into the business part as well, which a lot of coach coaches books kind of like miss out um so she, we very much kind of build the theory together and she um, focused her dissertation on attention restoration theory which is a theory coined in the in 1980s by the Kaplan's, um, and they very much kind of bring it down to okay so by heading outdoors what actually happens to you um there's elements are of kind of like around all sometimes you know that kind of feeling like wow the earth Wow, the natural planet's amazing, and there's that feeling of extent as well. Instead of being kind of confined, where often it's you know, kind of thought-term think, thinking because you're you're inside, you can't see the horizon. Actually, by being outdoors, there is that longer horizon you can kind of see beyond. So that's just a couple. And if it's something that you mentioned, you know, go and check out, you know, the Ascension Restoration Theory. So that's like one theory that she then applied to coaching. And, you know, there's other ones as well, whether you look into like, you know, forest bathing or kind of green-blue health. There's, there's, there's a lot more that are now being brought into the coaching world. And coaching itself is a complete mong- mongrel. It does draw from a lot of different disciplines. And in a way now, coaching outdoors... We're kind of doing that as well, and um, so Alex, who who did a dissertation on this subject, we've now um, collaborated to do a podcast. So we have our own podcast, the um, Coaching Outdoors, which is we're basically inviting other practitioners who work within the outdoor space and some thought leaders as well. So you know we've had Jonathan Passmore, David Clutterbuck, we've got Peter Hawkins who we're speaking to on Monday, uh, Liz Hall from Coaching at Work, for them to kind of you know give an insight into what they think about this kind of area um and how they see it changing the profession if, if, if they do not um, and the benefits of it but then practitioners as well who are you know integrating their own style of coaching and then taking it outdoors and in that in itself is huge because there's so many different flavors of coaching and then every coach has their own style so you know we've had one you know lizzie for example lives down um on the southwest and she does a lot of blue health a lot of kind of that, that liminal zone between you know the sea and the beach and the land and actually what's going on what's happening there and actually when you're going through change um you know when you're working with clients ultimately they are going through a process of change and actually how can we draw that metaphor from the natural environment into it and you know often it's uncomfortable you don't quite know what's happening and how can you kind of in a way be creative and get out of your head and use inspiration from the the landscape and then you know for example there's another cat who lives up in Edinburgh, she's um, she's very much more NLP and she works a lot more to the NLP processes, but she takes clients out for, you know, longer journeys through the landscape, kind of more expedition work, which I know like a lot of um, your listeners are more kind of expedition. And in a way, I just like to take away slightly here um, into my expedition kind of history as part of my role within the British military. I'm a qualified mountain leader and that in a way has relevance to the outdoor space, partly because I believe as soon as you take people outside, you need to be qualified to look after them. Yes, physically, but also kind of psychologically as well. So for me, the physical side is very much, you know, I've led expeditions in, you know, Nepal, Ecuador, Southeast Asia, Morocco. So I've got that kind of, you know, ability to be within the landscape and to be able to dynamically kind of assessing what is going on physically, but also then psychologically being able to meet them because emotions can come up and you never kind of know. When and actually, how can you kind of contain them or support the other um, individual to kind of work to work through that? Um, so yeah, that's the the, the kind of the, the the scope and the depth and the range. And I do believe that you need know, as an expedition leader the ability to have some form of coaching skills. And I saw this. You know when I was taking students to Nepal, for example, we were going you know five and a half thousand feet up in um, the Tang Valley. And actually walking side by side with them, having these conversations outside of their normal setting. It's often yeah, the longest they've been away from home for a month. And just really supporting them through that process of being away. And yes, the, you know, the beginnings and the endings of an expedition itself, how do you manage that? But actually then how do you then take the learnings back into, you know, a lot of them are you know, secondary school, doing GCSEs or A-levels. How can they then learn and a lot of it's around confidence and awareness, um, and just you know, discovering who they are as an
0: individual. Mm, definitely. And I think um I think uh, you know, a big thing in coaching also is is um, and actually just just to pause for a second, just for the benefit, because I sometimes make an assumption. I think sometimes when you Um, are are really interested in something you make an assumption that everybody else knows what it is but just for the purposes of our listeners just in case somebody people don't actually know what coaching is I wonder Anna-Marie do you have a working definition of what coaching is?
1: So whenever I try it sounds so trite (laughs) so I will offer like um, this is what I kind of explain to clients when I'm meeting them for the first time what coaching is so very much it's around a it's um a partnership it's a conversation that we have together we're both coming as equals and it's all about engaging in this kind of creative and thought-provoking dialogue that ultimately creates change to encourage um growth. and whether you, you know you put potential in there or exceed your potential it, it kind of it it, it depends um, but i kind of okay how do i then show up as a coach what support do i bring and this is how I kind of frame it. So I kind of have it as a four way. So basically when we're working together, I'm there as, a, as a, um, an accountability buddy. And then I kind of go into the accountability side of things. Okay, sometimes, you know, you'll have goals and the like, and it's actually, will you meet them or not? Do you need some support? How can we frame it? Um, how can I help you, you know, ultimately from accountability? And some people are like, uh, yep, yeah, you know, it'd be great. Can we check in? Can we do this? Or actually, no, I've got it and off they go. So accountability, I think, is a big part of coaching, um it's an element of being a thinking partner so it is about it's a lot it is about our thoughts how do we manage our thoughts and in a way that's a skill in itself so there is an element of education of how can we manage them what theories are that how can we kind of encourage new ideas I will reframe uh, for example and um, so there is that element of kind of being a bit of a thinking a thinking partner but again it's coming as an equal and this within coaching I think is really important to stipulate you know I'm not there as a as a mentor i'm not a counselor i'm not a consultant i'm not the expert i'm not telling you ultimately you are the expert in your life what i'm doing is holding up a mirror just to kind of sometimes strip away things because often we just are completely blind when we think of our unconscious and you know the number of decisions that we make a day we are (laughs) very unaware of a lot of them we're kind of like little robots on default kind of walking around so yeah, so we've got accountability buddy, thinking partner, then critical friend. So it's there, and you know, coaching can be challenging. It's not kind of I'm going to agree with everything you say. I'm going to spot patterns and trends and kind of point them out and kind of call your bluff at times. And it can be a little bit uncomfortable. And very much, I do appreciate like the level of challenge that people can um, take, can can change. And yes, you know, if it's too much and. I'll kind of, it's all very much about being open and honest and transparent and kind of, you know, yes, it can be push, 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 but then at times it's like, okay, step back. But then it's a noticing that and then potentially next down the line. Because if you come up against a barrier or some resistance, that's an indicator that something's going on there, that's triggering something inside of, you know, you as an individual, and what is that? And that can take an element of reflection. And then the final Mm -hmm. is a bit of a cheerleader. And I think, you know, at times we all need a bit of a cheerleader sometimes to give us a bit of a boost, someone to celebrate. Because a lot of times I have clients who have goals and they're constantly striving towards them. And it's almost they reach their goal and it's like, dink, next. It's like, whoa, okay, stop. Let's just kind of take a moment in pause ultimately we just become just on this constant kind of treadmill trying to achieve the next thing. And actually, how can we really just kind of set it in, in, in state? So that's, that's how I kind of bring it together. It's very much, it's a dialogue, it's a process and within coaching it's yes, you can have coaching conversations often the beauty and the magic then unfolds after the conversation because it will have triggered something, it will have prompted something. And yes, you can just have a coach-like conversation. You know, if you're a manager at work, you can still have coach-like conversations and there's loads of tools around having that. It's not then you're going to have a formal coaching conversation, you know, a month down the line. So in a a way, you know, coaching is... it kind of gets a bit people don't quite understand and then what's the difference between kind of mentoring or counselling and And, you know coaching for me I I very much frame it it's about the future space it is it's like where do you want to go we want to really bring our attention back to the future however we may have to go dip into the past and to pull things out because that's how we ultimately form our values and beliefs and yes we want to be kind of rooted in the present and have a an idea of you know what is our reality what is the truth at the moment but then you bring the conversation back it's very you know have a very pragmatic approach it's kind of does boil down to the end okay so what are you going to do about it what's your action point what are you taking away and I want to be able to give my client something by the end of the conversation something really clear that they can then do whether that is a reflect on something a think about something a change behavior a try to communicate differently it's something that is tangible and action orientated otherwise it can just descend into a bit of an existential philosophical conversation which is all very nice though actually is it creating tangible change moving forward
0: Mm, yeah very well put and i wonder you know just we're coming near the end but i wonder just just bringing those two your two passions together the coaching and the running um how do you apply your coaching brain to your running oh it's constantly there it's like I have my
1: little internal voice (laughs) constantly breaking breaking things down and I do self-coach a lot um and there's a lot of kind of sanity checking reframing chunking um and and also that play in time as well past present future how do I place myself within that um and also just knowing knowing myself and like what are my values and bringing it back to my core values. I think that's a really interesting exercise for anybody if you've never done that, is to bring it back to your values. Like what are your, what are your core values? Like what are your top five values? And knowing them, and then actually being able to live your life by them each day. And in a way using it like as a little bit of a checklist. Because often if you're feeling a little bit grumpy or a little bit out of sorts, it's because something is clashing, something is not aligned. But so actually if you don't know what your values are, then how do you even start? to kind of unpick your emotions and sit with them so yeah that's kind of one takeaway I'd encourage your listeners to do is yeah go and do some a little bit of research around values and then kind of come up with the values like what's important to you like what do you love in your life and actually being crystal clear on that and often at some level with coaching you kind of know the answer already but then it's all about kind of you know externalizing and verbalizing it it then becomes a lot more real
0: Hmm. yeah definitely and and I I always find it really fascinating how um, it is changing, but um, we we don't really get education on that. Well, I, certainly in my generation, we didn't get education about values at school. This wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing, even during undergraduate, postgraduate study, um, values are really only something that I have kind of really... Um, taken on board and harnessed over the last five six years in my own journey into coaching and and I I still find it really interesting working with people how you know you say what what are your values what are values (laughs) you know it it, it's still um it's still growing in terms of our I think you know a societal kind of awareness of, of values and the importance of values so um I think that's a wonderful take-home point for our listeners, Mm Anna-Marie. And on that note, I am very um, sad to say that we are uh, getting to the end of our time um, and we are going to need to draw this episode to a close. But I just want to thank you, Anna-Marie, for a really... um, a very uh, dynamic conversation on two um very different yet very um aligned um areas coaching and running um because obviously um you know as you've alluded to it's a the running is is, is both equally a mental and a physical game um so I, I wonder i mean obviously you've mentioned about the values but you know if there, is there any other um kind of take-home nuggets that you'd like to leave us with um for today
1: um i think i think from a from a running perspective clearly i'm very biased um though it's it boils down to movement and just encourage your listeners to move um whether that is running whether it is you know some form of yoga or walk or anything it is just about and i'm probably preaching to the converted here already um though even i find myself you know stood at my desk and it is right I need to move I need to get out so I do think that movement piece is really really important and then kind of on the coaching side of things as well it's just just open yourself up to it if this is something that you've not kind of entertained or heard about before just kind of think okay so you know who, who who would I be as a coach what kind of coach would I be how can I be maybe you know a little bit more coach like as I move through my day and whether that is just maybe kind of pausing to ask questions like open questions as opposed to the closed yes no kind of these open questions really expansive just and then listen with curiosity um and be present because often we will ask a question or have a conversation and actually our minds are somewhere else or we're kind of racing to think about what we're going to reply to the person so actually let's just give that individual the respect and the space to kind of come up with you know what they will um so i think that would be my my two side of things i'd love to kind of signpost if, if people are interested in the coaching outdoors piece to check out um our podcast website which is coaching hyphen outdoors.com coaching hyphen outdoors.com and then i've you know i've got my own website which kind of blends the outdoor and the running as well um and that's um RFM coaching. so that sounds for reach for more coaching rfmcoaching.com and i do you know i love to kind of if anyone has any questions or about kind of coaching or running just feel free to reach out through my website and um, i am quite active on instagram not so much on twitter anymore and on linkedin as well you know there's so many different social platforms and ways to connect these days and um, but i'm always open to have a conversation and you know i love kind of increasing my network you never know what opportunities may arise um book can start with a conversation and where it can lead
0: to. So yeah, I'd love to hear from your listeners. Brilliant, fabulous stuff. Thank you again, Anna-Marie. And thank you very much to our listeners for joining us today. See you next time.